Good morning, everybody. I think we have <coughs> coming up on the screen in a in a second. I don't know if it's on that back one. It isn't. Okay, this is Zoe Grace Shuring, um, born I think a couple weeks. Well, what is the date? I don't know. It was. It's it's um, <coughs> about probably uh, eight days ago or nine. <coughs> and her parents, I don't know if the picture's up there. We have one, yeah. Uh, Garrett and Priscilla, I don't know how many of you know them, um, but they've been a part of our congregation here for oh, a couple years, probably. But anyway, um <coughs> everyone's well, so we wanted to put that up <coughs> and introduce you to Zoe. There are several scriptures that I want to read um, this morning, and I think we'll, they're all from the Psalms, and we will read them as um, they appear in the book of Psalms. <clears throat> so, and I'm not going to read the whole, uh, I don't think, of each of these Psalms, but a portion of them. The first one is Psalm 2. <clears throat> Psalm 2, and we'll just read the first five or six verses. I'm reading from this morning from the New King James. Why do the heathen, or why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure, saying, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. The next psalm is familiar to us. Psalm 46. And again, we'll not read the whole um, <clears throat> psalm. Beginning in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Then finally, Psalm 118. <clears throat> and in Psalm 118, we'll begin with verse 5. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. We'll <clears throat> end our reading there. There are a couple things that I w want us to see. There are several themes that go through these three psalms, but a lot of other um, psalms as well. We are, and, and let me just say this before we look at these scriptures. I hope I'm not um, presenting myself as never having any worries, troubles, um, discouragement, so forth, but trying to encourage you not to. We're all in <coughs> days that are fearful, or let's put it this way, can make us fearful if we let them. Um, but one of the things we have to remember is when hasn't some place in the world had that going on? I mean, it isn't like things have been just smooth as glass forever and suddenly we're in some threatening, worrisome, difficult, fearful days. The world's always been a mess. <laughs> it's always been a mess. We read here a couple of these psalms probably psalm 2 and likely psalm 118 both refer to david's ascending to the throne um, the record of the kings and the chronicles tells us how many surrounding nations um, planned to cripple david or kill him defeat him some way before he ever came to the throne and got his kingdom established. Now David, of course, is the throne of David, is the throne ultimately of Jesus. And it's on the throne of David that the son of David, Jesus, reigns finally forever. So when David came to the throne and God said to him, your throne will last forever. Well, how does that happen with humans when the last one who still reigns is very God and very man? He's the one who has been ruling technically from the foundation of the world, but 
since his resurrection. We have a king that never goes away, a king that is immortal. So in these psalms, there was great threat. Twice, if not three times, talks about the nations raging. All the nations around the people of God in Israel, they were in an uproar. Raging is a good term. It means, it means tumult, tempest, trouble. It means threats. It means raging mobs. And with that always comes their threats. <laughs> the first thing that we see there are threats we're going to do this we're going to accomplish that we're going to eliminate you we're going to defeat this we will carry out this plan a second theme that we'll look at that runs through these psalms men threaten God thwarts the problem we face I believe as Christians and people in involved in the choices of government and so forth in our country is that we fears strikes our hearts and we to the degree that our fear that the threats will be carried out we're blinded from God we have to remember that now we can point to lots of things down th just take our lifetime however long that is with each of you but I've lived long enough to see all kinds of threats that were mortal threats. Okay? I mean, we, this happens, we're done. We are finished. I happen to remember, as clear as a bell, I remember um, I was a, what would I have been? Probably late grade school. You elect a Catholic president, we're done. This country is gone. I'm not here to tell you that I think John Kennedy was the greatest president that ever lived. I'm not even talking about that. But I just remember, I remember being on the playground. Kind of half joking, half that the coins, the government issued coins will no longer say in God we trust. It'll now say in the Pope we hope. I remember that. I tell you what. It didn't happen. Now I'm not saying again that our country is on a great upward climb. But 
let me jump ahead of myself to say this, it doesn't have anything to do with men's plans. Are there conspiracy theories? Yeah. Are most of them true? Probably not. But there's one we can't forget. There's one we can't forget. This is not a human contest. We're not involved in this whole world in a human contest. This is a titanic, cosmic war. And on one side, Satan and his angels, his servants, and God and his angels, and this human race is divided up into two groups of people. Those who are under the sway of Satan, under his dominion, under his slavery, and those who have voluntarily joined God's army. And we have pledged our allegiance to him. We trust in him. We live for him. We serve him. And we read here a familiar phrase that's everywhere in the Bible. And often it's older versions. The Lord of hosts. Well, you know what the word hosts means? It literally means, and it's thousands of times in Scripture, God of what? God of the armies. It's not God of the social workers, you know. We'll send um, mental health professionals out when somebody's got a gun. God is not. God is the God of armies. And he's called the God of battles. He is the captain of the army. Who can fight him? <laughs> That's why we always hear, don't be afraid. In Psalm 46, and I, I, I need to stop and do my best, all of us do, to read carefully what the Bible says. It says, if the earth should be moved out of its place and the mountains fall into the sea. Has that anything like that happened? Not that I'm aware of. But even it says, if the earth gets moved and the mountains crumble into the sea, I will not be afraid. Now, uh, as I said beginning. I'm not here to tell you, well, I never get worried. I'm probably a worse worrier than most of you. I, I believe, <laughs> at least in, at least it seems like, um, Murphy's Law is the most predictable, true law there is. If anything can go wrong, it will. I swear I come under that law every day. 
And I stick with the wonders, the blessing of being a pessimist. Because you are either frequently enjoy the satisfaction of knowing you were right or the pleasant surprise either way either way the pleasant surprise of the ill you thought would come didn't you can't lose as a pessimist I want to do my best to you know recruit people um, join the ranks of the pessimists I worry, we all worry, we fear. I've heard people say, um, to fear, fear is sin. Now that would rank, that ranks among some of the top-notch stupid statements you could ever make. Now I've read it enough of these, you know, these Bible studies and, you know, sermons and fear is sin. Paul said, I'm afraid. I think he was a fairly decent Christian. Don't you? Paul said, inside I have fears. And outwardly, I'm facing all kinds of fightings, oppositions, threats against me. And I experience fear. It's what I do with it. That's the issue. Do I let the threats compound and compound until I am an absolute nervous wreck and I am reading everything I can on the phone about when it is going to happen. I remember moving here to Gillette two months before um, now I can't even remember, was it Y2K? I tell you, the lights are going out, the sun's blotted out, the moon will turn to blood at 2,000. It's over. We'll have nuclear winter. I knew personally a couple um, in the, this town who spent $120,000 20-plus years ago preparing for Y2K burying tanks in the ground filled with drinkable water, filled with fuel, all kinds of dried foods and all that kind of stuff, f you know, like fallout shelters. You remember the cataclysmic stuff that happened, right? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Do you understand what I mean? We, we, we trust... We trust other people too much in, in two ways. One, we're really trusting other people when we're scared to death of them. When they say, we're going to do this, we're going to close the churches. I can't tell you how many times as a little kid and then going through college, going through seminary, starting to pastor, I can't remember when... Um, this poor old Madeline Murray O'Hare. I don't know. I think her son chopped her up and buried her in Texas or something. But I got flyers all the time, and the churches, I would always have some 
and I'm not belittling anybody, but I would have some member of my congregation either call me or come to church, come into a service, you know, come to Sunday or whatever, normal day, pull out this flyer that they got in this letter. I got thousands of them. Contribute now. Madeline Murray O'Hare is going to get all Christian radio shut down. It's going to close the Christian bookstores, but the radio waves are going to be shut down. We've got to pray. We've got to give because this is, you know, and it's like God's up in heaven like we read. We, we, what did he do? He laughed. In Psalm 2, it's interesting. Notice this picture. It said the, the nations raged. I said all the nations raged. There's just a heaving sea of mass confusion and rage and threats. And notice the next phrase. He that what? Sits. He that sits on the throne. He didn't even get up out of his chair. You understand? The nations are taken to the streets and they're screaming and they're yelling and they're... And God is still just sitting in serenity on his throne, smiling as he jams his plan down our throats. It, this was about, we don't want this king over us. Immediately it's talking about David, but ultimately Jesus. We're not going to have him as our king. God says, yes, you will. And he never breaks a sweat. He never gets worried. He says, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Yet, Psalm 2 says, yet I've set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Is Jesus king today? <laughs> yeah. How many people are molding in the grave today who took part in all the plots and the plans? We're going to get rid of Jesus. He's still around last I checked. There's also a comparison in words I know we've read three psalms it may be hard to remember them but 118 Psalm 118 5 out of my distress this spoke to me out of my distress I did what I donated to the party prayed out of my distress I called on God I'm not calling on Washington DC we have listen proof there's a God proof that there's a God is that the churches are open today and we are eating and God has protected us with the caliber of 
I don't know with the caliber of people that we have running our country and have for years. I don't know how corrupt they really are because it takes a certain amount, at least two to three brain cells to be corrupt. It takes a little bit of intelligence to figure out corruption. They don't have enough. Somehow they still manage to be filthy corrupt. But we're here today. God's Word is just as real, just as trustworthy as it's ever been. Not a thing has changed. Nothing has changed. Nothing. Now, do I mean that we should not be grieved concerned at all we see in any culture the prophets if you read the old testament the prophets spent their whole lives grieving challenging threatening shaking them over hell because of how they were turning away from god that's a deep grief i'm not saying that we aren't concerned but the deeper our concern and worry and fear I'll just speak for myself. But the more worried and the more concerned and then on the heels of that comes fear and dread, there is a direct ratio of that worry and fear and conversation and uh, what are we going to do to a decrease in confidence in God a decrease in remembering, but God's still ruling. And also, there's a proportionate decrease in my own peace in my heart and rest because I'm all worked up. Does any of that make sense? What's the answer? What's the answer then? What we have to do is remember these two simple little truths from everywhere in Scripture. Men threaten, God thwarts. Now, a lot of times we will say, well, things didn't work out, or there was this happened, or the Supreme Court struck something down. Fine, that may have been God's instrument, but it's still God. Because men aren't in control. That's the fallacy of the whole human race. That we think we're in control, but we're not. God just thwarts. And God thwarts. We don't know how much God thwarts. That the enemy of our souls has planned against us. And planned throughout the world to crush God's people. And to hinder God's work God is perpetually doing two things one not only thwarting but he nobody is as good as God nobody's even close to God for turning around men's plans to suit his and even help advance his he's famous for that you're going to do this? No, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to turn this back on your own head. 
I happened in my devotions just this past week to read <clears throat> Isaiah's account. It's in Kings, and then it's also in the book of Isaiah, <clears throat> where Sennacherib, great, great, great king of Assyria, had assembled a massive army. Nobody knows how big, but he'd assembled a massive army. His capital was Nineveh, and he had just gobbled up the nations around him and was headed towards Jerusalem, or headed towards Egypt. And thought maybe as a side note, you know what I mean, he, they'd pull off the highway and let's just mop up Judah and get rid of Jerusalem. And so they sent word to Hezekiah, the king of Israel, king of Judah, of what he was going to do cooperate with me, go ahead and surrender right now, he said, because look, you can't. No nation has stood up to me. And that was true. Not a single nation they attacked had successfully resisted. And so they said, we've just been a steamroller clear across the whole Middle East. There's, it's stupid. Why, why trouble your own people? Why ruin your... Why have your... your uh, city torn down because that's what I'm going to do. Just go ahead and surrender now. Well, the people are all stirred up. Hezekiah was troubled. And he sent to Isaiah, the prophet, said, pray for us. You know, we're all going to fast and pray. We don't know what to do. And it seemed like there, there was a message from Isaiah. Well, you know, God's going to take care of it. Then I think there was a little reverse on Hezekiah's part. I think he took heart. He thought, well, we're going to be okay. Well, but Sennacherib then gets word. He's heading to Jerusalem. He finds out that there's an army coming up out of Egypt to attack him. So what he does is he pulls away from Israel. He said, i got to go take care of Pharaoh first. Then I'll be back. Don't think I won't be back. And so he writes a letter to Hezekiah. And it gets delivered. And Hezekiah reads it. It's another blather deal about it. It says, there's no, don't trust in God. He said, you're trying to tell your people to trust in God. What God of any of these other nations, and he lists a whole bunch of kingdoms that he had taken out. Did their God save them? No. Did their God save? No. So why do you say that the Lord God will deliver you out of my hand? What God's been able to deliver out of my hand? So just because I've pulled away temporarily from Palestine, I'm going to go flatten Pharaoh, and then I'll be back. Well, Hezekiah, that letter hit him. And whatever encouragement he had earlier, I think he lost it. And he said, he sent the letter and talked to Isaiah again. Then he, Hezekiah went up to the temple and he opened the letter. It says he spread it out before the Lord. And he opened it up and he said, Lord, read that. Now, I don't know if God read it right then, but see what we have to remember is God saw it being written and he knew 50,000 years before what was going to be written. So he didn't need to read it. He already knew what was in it. And Hezekiah hears now again from the Lord. 
And the Lord's very calm, and he just says, listen, he's not going to even show up here. He is not going to shoot one single arrow against this city. He's not going to build a siege ramp up against the walls and bring in great battering rams to knock down the walls and knock down the gates. He, nothing that he said, God simply said this. He said, it shall not stand. Not going to do it. Well, yeah, but what about this letter? What about all those kingdoms he did flatten? God says, it's not going to happen. And he said this, I'll make him hear a rumor. I will chase him back to his own city of Nineveh. And he said, there he's going to die. Hezekiah took heart and trusted God. I don't know if I'd have been Hezekiah, what would have gone through my mind still? How's God going to pull this off? This is a massive, massive army. I'm going to tremblingly trust God, but boy, I don't know what he's going to do. That night, it says, the Lord sent just one angel. Not a whole troop of them. said, the angel of the Lord went through the camp of the Assyrians, the army of Sennacherib. Interestingly, by the way, last summer, I, because of your kindness to us, could stand in the British Museum and read the very events, the tax that he put on, Sennacherib put on uh, Israel, that Hezekiah had paid him, they took, oh, it was probably a full wall doubled. Uh, they cut the stone relief where all of this was carved. And I don't know how they did it because in the 1800s. But they, they, they cut it about that thick and brought all of that back, reassembled it, and put it in the British Museum which endorses the Bible. It's the same story that the Bible said. You've got Sennacherib. And now, the interesting thing is about this long relief, they call it, that was on the wall. It showed Sennacherib going against different countries. It even showed him collecting tribute, um, extortion money, from Hezekiah, and he's na- Hezekiah's name there. And Hezekiah did. For a couple of years, he paid up. Shows all that. But Sennacherib never got around to having anything else carved about what happened to him at Jerusalem. That's not there. Because God, what would God do? Well, get a huge war f- bunch from someplace else, and he would... Get a bigger army. And he, no, he said, I just sent an angel. And he said when the straggling soldiers, I guess, got up in the morning, all they found were dead corpses. God God put to death in the tents of the army 185,000 soldiers. Now, there were still some left. That's how big of an army 
he had. Just for comparison, we all remember, well, at least any of us that took history in high school and college, which means those of us 75 and over, <coughs> nobody knows any history anymore, but we've heard of D-Day, Normandy, storming the beaches, greatest amphibious assault in history. Never been a bigger uh, uh, amphibious assault than D-Day. You know how many, the massive, if you've ever seen pictures of that, the, the looking out to sea, just ships everywhere. And, I mean, you, it's just a massive amount of people. That was 155,000. God killed 30,000 more than that. And when they all got up in the tents, got up, everybody's dead. So Sennacherib made a strong executive decision. He went home quickly. But when he got there, why, I don't know, but he went to the temple of the God he worshipped that had just colossally failed him and went in to worship and his two sons assassinated him with the sword. So this terror of the nations got run through with swords and was on the floor. How did that come about? Well, I tell you what, we outvoted them. No. God did it. All by himself. He's capable of that. God did it. We have no idea how much God is in the business of just denying the world and Satan and his angels who stirs the world up. He just says, no, I'm watching over my people. I've got my plans. And nobody, nobody can thwart God. Nobody can. Lately, with all the ferment in our country that deeply troubles, wait, lay awake nights, get to thinking about it, can't go to sleep for hours. But I think, for me, God's just, He's planned it. Somehow my Bible reading is just repetitive. Just over and over I run across the same stuff. I made heaven, earth, the sea, everything in it, and I give it to whomever I will. Or, I am the Lord, who can deliver out of my hand? We forget God. God is bigger than any threat God is bigger than any country, any armament. God's God. And he said, what did he say? In every one of these psalms that we read, there's a frequent phrase, occurs in all three of them. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm the Lord. I'm on your side. 
then you can see why also in all three of these psalms, since the Lord is on my side, I won't be afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. None of us know anything that's going to happen. But God does. He hasn't resigned. You can't impeach God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Old people tried it. But they're dead. God's still alive. Again, I want to do my best to, I want to try to encourage you with what I feel like God's encouraged me and encouraged me in the middle of distress. I, I have been in distress. And you know what the word distress, Psalm 118, the last one we read, out of my distress I called on the Lord and then it says, and the Lord set me in a large place. There's a contrast there that we don't see. The word for di distress is straight. S-T-R-A-I-T. A narrow, squeezed, pressured spot. We use the phrase... Even now, not as much maybe as English years ago, we're in dire straits. We're in trouble. We're pressed on every side. Out of my being pressed and oppressed, and even, you know, you, you put up with that long enough, you start getting chest pains, stress. said, I'll put you in a wide place you're not pressed anymore now have circumstances outwardly changed not one iota but God opens our eyes like Elisha and the young understudy prophet whoever he was they're surrounded they don't know where they're going they don't know what's going to happen the young prophet is panicking, and Elisha's calm, and he said, Lord, please open his eyes. says, the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw the mountains all around were filled with horses and chariots of fire. And then this statement is made. And I know it doesn't seem like it often, but this statement is made. There's more with us than there is with them. We've got more on our side. There's, listen, God's angels outnumber the devils. God is still in utter, tranquil, serene control. That's why he's still seated. He didn't even get up. Let's trust in God. And maybe get off of Facebook or whatever. <laughs> let's just, let's out of our distress, turn to God. He's not going anywhere. Never going anywhere. He'll take care of us. Nothing can happen to me but what God 
God gets a chance to examine everything that's headed my way in the way of circumstances. He inspects it before he ever lets it get to me. Who knows how many things he says, no, I'm going to protect him from that. So the what does come to us, even if it's trouble, it's already passed under God's inspection. He's let it go on, but accompanies that difficulty with grace to help me through it. He never takes his eyes off of me. So frequently in John Wesley's, founder of the Methodist, in his journal, daily journal, he would write, he was mobbed often. Early days of his preaching, he was mobbed, and people throw, throw stuff at him and try to throw him off a bridge, all kinds of stuff. Because, because why? Because they were stirred up by the enemy of the gospel, the devil. They weren't dealing with the king. They weren't dealing with parliament. They were, they were dealing with this global and cosmic war between the devil and God. And with all that coming at him, Wesley would frequently write in his journal, I am immortal until God is through with me. Till I've fulfilled my race, I'm immortal. Nothing can happen to me because God's on my side. I hope that that rambulation <laughs> that we just finished is helpful to us. Let's filter what we listen to. Spend more time in this and trust God is unmoved. God isn't chewing His fingernails. He's not smacking His forehead trying to figure out what to do next. He knows. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dan, come and pray if you would. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, before this service started today, I prayed in this room, Lord, that you would convict us, comfort us, and encourage us. And I believe through the message that you've given our pastor this morning, it has done just that. But here's what I know, Lord. The reality of it is we're going to leave this sanctuary, the safety of this place, and go out into the darkness of the world. But we don't have to leave the safety of our Savior. I'm reminded of what the psalmist said, that my heart may fail and be discouraged, but my strength in my heart is the Lord. Help us, Lord, this week to be a bit like Peter. The wind and the waves will get our attention, Lord. They will distract us, and we will begin to sink. But I want to be like Peter, Lord, and not swim back to what's familiar, the boat, but reach out my hand and say, Lord, save me, because you will. You're able, and you will, if we're faithful, to keep our eyes on you and call upon you. So when we feel as though we're going to drown, Lord, and at times we do, May we remember the encouragement of this message this morning and the conviction that this happens when we get our eyes off you. 
So comfort us, strengthen us, and encourage our hearts, Lord, as we go forward. But give us an unusual desire to know you better this week, to grow in you, to keep our eyes focused on you, and live within this reality. Be in the world, but not of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. You're dismissed. Have a great day, everyone. There is no fear, cause I believe.